The text for the sermon this day is taken from John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34. Could we put that on the screen? And so you can see it right there. But I'm going to focus specifically on these words. The next day he saw Jesus, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the text. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God, our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want to take you back all the way to the time when I was at Concordia University in Mequon, Wisconsin. During those days, I spent a lot of time taking Greek, Hebrew, and all those fun classes. And I would spend time playing things like World of Warcraft and Halo. Along with, of course, my studies. I mentioned that first. But I also worked at that time at a movie theater. And so I was an usher, which meant I went around and cleaning movie theaters. And in between shows, while we're waiting for people to come out, I would spend much of my time just standing there and talking with my fellow staff. And in this case, there was a girl. And her name was Michelle. And her and I talked a lot, and we were, we kind of flirted a little bit. And like one of the things I would frequently do is that would drive her nuts, and I did it intentionally, is I put a bag inside of my coat pocket, and it would make it hang down a little bit, it would just drive her nuts. But she knew I did that intentionally. But over the year, during the time, kind of feelings started to fill up for her, and I had a crush on her. But there was a challenge, at least, at least I saw it as a challenge. I was a 21-year-old in college, she was a 17-year-old in high school. And so I'm, I'm thinking, ooh, this is a bad age gap. And so I intentionally tried to push it off. And it worked. Year afterwards, a year later, I came back from school, she was still working there, but she was now dating an assistant manager who ironically was actually older than me. But we went back to where we were before, but she was dating somebody, so no worries. And I thought that would be the end of the story. Well, a few years later, when I was at seminary, I was on Facebook, and Facebook the way it was back when it was still Cool-ish. Um, we tried. We you tried to track up, track down people, and so I tracked her down, and we started talking a whole bunch at night, and hours on end. And she eventually revealed that the situation with that guy went really, really bad, and I mean bad. And conversations led to it. I eventually admitted that I had it. Those the crush that I had. And especially after I heard what happened, I wondered what if I had asked her out or something. Maybe that could have kept this thing from happening to her. And she, when I told her about my feelings, she said exactly that thing to me. She said, you could have spared me from that relationship. So I went to, so one weekend I went up to Mequon uh, from the seminary with a bunch of other former CUW graduates. I hang out with some of my buddies, and again, we went right back to playing Halo. And 
But I ended up meeting up with her. I surprised her at her work. As soon as she saw me, she ran and she jumped and hugged me like she never wanted to let go. And we went on a date of sort that night. And it seemed like everything was wonderful. Went to St. Louis and everything went south. And it seemed like the, because obviously it didn't end on a happy story given the fact that that's not still going. And, and I bring all this up because it was kind of interesting. This morning, Facebook gives those little reminders of things you wrote or said a few years ago. Like, a lot of mine tends to be quotes from The Simpsons or something. But this one is what I wrote on March 2nd, 2010. It says, and I said, why do we do the things we do? Why can't we stop ourselves from doing stupid things? Sometimes the stupid things are pretty much harmless. Sometimes the consequences are incredibly great. One just wishes that they could be like Marty McFly, or Back to the Future, and go back in time to stop themselves from making such a great error. Now understand, I'm in the heat of emotion at this point, and I was in very much in a state of depression. But recently, so I, recently I made one mistake that really could have been a small one. However, fear plays such a huge part in this. Fear motivates us to do more and more stupid things, and it snowballs into a grand disaster. Amazingly, it was fear itself that caused the first mistakes. Perhaps it shows why FDR could say the only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. Fear makes us stupid and irrational. We do things we would never think of doing. We destroy wonderful relationships in the process. Fear makes us selfish and irresponsible. Then we are left with its aftermath. We are left with a brick and mortar to clean up. Although we are so devastated from the destruction it has caused, we stand idle. We don't move. We don't try to clean up the debris. We don't try to go and find a new place where the damage is not there to remind us what our fear caused. We just stand there and stare at the damage. We hope that maybe, just maybe, it will magically clean itself up and it will be as if it never happened. However, nothing can undo the damage that we have caused. If we rebuild, there will still be something always reminding us of what we had done. Others who felt the effects of our foolishness will forever be remembered of the damage we had done. Would you stand in tears, staring at the damage? Our tears fall until we are too numb to feel the pain. The numbness can't, comes, and we don't build up. No, we become complacent and unwilling to do anything. Why, oh why, do we do these stupid things? The simple theological answer is we are all sinners. That is true, and intellectually we know that. We are still stuck with the emotion of the anguish we cause other, ourselves and others. We were afraid. Perhaps we believe at the time we are doing the right thing, doing what we have to do. In reality, we are not. We are being selfish, careless, and thoughtless about the other. So that's what I wrote 12 years ago. That's kind of, and it's kind of an interesting thing to see to come up 12 years later, and I had know a lot more than I did 12 years ago. And this was, like I said, my emotion was very, 
I was an extre- I was a pretty heavy level of depression. And the reason I read it is because it is Ash Wednesday, and all of you have on your foreheads ash. That black remainder of palm branches. Reminder of just how broken you are and how broken the world is. Because what I just described is just a, is it a relationship. But how many of us can think of relationships that are broken in our lives? They are not where they should be, not where we want, to be, want them to be. And by looking back on this, I, I know I said and did stupid things, but I know it wasn't all me. And I know that now, but at the time I felt it was all my fault. Because that's the way I tend to, I sometimes will think. But the thing is, we know that we contribute to the brokenness. Sometimes it can be a marriage that just can't seem to stand. You say things, they say things, you don't say something, they don't say something, you fail to do something you should do, you, you do something that you shouldn't do, you don't know why you do it, you don't know why you didn't do it, but you struggle in your relationship. You don't have to be married, you can just be dating someone, or it could be friendship. I think back to when I was in seventh grade. When I was in sixth, when I was in elementary, there was one of my friends, his name was Hansel. Yeah, it's like Hansel and Gretel. But, but he was one of my, he was pretty much my best friend all the way through elementary. Seventh grade hits, and guess what? He acts like he doesn't even know who I am. And he eventually explained why. And it was just basically, he wanted to move on. Seventh graders, sorry to highlight you, but are there people that your friendships are not the same as they were in elementary? Guess what? When you go to high school, it's probably going to happen again. So it might happen next week. You never know, too, the way middle school can be. But that's our relationships. They are constantly changing. They're breaking on just something. Sometimes we don't understand the reason. Sometimes we very much know the reason. But friendships that held one another up through such difficult times, all of a sudden, on the seemingly smallest, the thing just breaks. We live in the effects of sin. We live in the depths of sorrow. We live in a world where there is abuse, physical Mental, verbal. We live in a world of so much evil, so much suffering. There's a right now we have what's going on in in Ukraine, and we see the evil unfold on TV. We see it unfold through social media, and we can't speak. To, it's hard to really say much because we don't live there. But the images are horrifying. And what a reminder of just the wretchedness that we live in. Last year at the pastor's conference, I was asking Pastor Salcedo, he came late, so he couldn't remember the quote either. He wasn't there yet. 
he had something else going on earlier. But there was a quote that came up, and I've been tracking my brain, and someday I'll probably, I'll remember it, I'll find where I wrote it down. I wrote it down somewhere where I could find it, and that didn't work out so well. So, but it was a really, really wonderful quote by a man who lived, grew up in the Soviet Union. And he saw the atrocities and the evils that happened. And basically, he talks about that at first he thought, well, only certain people are capable of evil. And that was until he saw what happened in the Soviet Union. Your everyday Joe would carry out some of the most horrible things. They would be instruments for the most horrible of things. Every one of us are capable of evil. Every one of us has that darkness. Every one of us has that brokenness. Every one of us knows how to be a victimizer, and every one of us knows what it's like to be a victim. We are constantly in tension with that. And that ash, that's what that reminds you. But note I wrote my comment when I was, a, I was studying to be a pastor. Now I should note, first this is a reminder that pastors, just because they're pastors, don't have it all together. Just because you're in seminary, you don't have it all together. I can tell you at this time, my, my depression was, the level of my depression, I do remember at one point thinking, maybe people would be better off if I wasn't around. And I remember thinking that. And so... And if you ever want to read a really good book, read Dark Is My Road. It's written by a pastor who tells a story of how on, on Good Friday he was doing a service and was contemplating his own death. Even pastors can be victim of depression. Even a pastor can suffer through it. It means that you could be deep, you could be head deep in God's word the devil is still going to attack. He still attacks you. And the very reality is that many of us know that idea of that world of depression, anxiety. And so this is what I wrote as I ended it. I said, now we look at the extent of our great sins. We turn our heads to the gospel. Now is it that Christ can look as, at us and I forgive my crude language at this point, but can look at us screw-ups and say, you are forgiven? We have messed up on so many levels. We deserve his eternal wrath, yet that Jesus Christ, true God and true man, came down from heaven, lived amongst many screw-ups like us, listened to screw-ups lecture him, saw screw-ups destroy their lives. He lived in a world of screw-ups People who gave into their fears and did stupid things. They gave into their fears so much that they put him to death upon a cross. His death, he allowed for it to happen. Jesus could have stopped the crucifixion at any moment. He did not. He suffered and died that we may have life. See, here's the whole thing on this. That verse, John looked when Jesus appeared. And he said, the word, the word it says, behold, that's just kind of fancy. 
And I don't believe that John was just like, behold. He was the better way of just saying, look! There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, pay attention. He's right there. Now we're in 21st century America. So we're like, okay, I know what Lamb is. I know what a God is. I know what sin. I have an idea what sin is. I know what the world is. I don't know what that all comes together and means. See, sin, that's that black part. We are all born with it. Literally means to miss the mark. God has a standard for how things are done, and we left field. And so that is sin. And sin has wreaked havoc on our world, and we see it everywhere as I've gone through, as I talked about here. What does it mean to be the lamb? Well, in the Old Testament, they knew that there was a lamb that was provided for every family. The purpose of that lamb was that lamb would make the atonement, the payment for all the sins of that family. Well, who is God's family? All the world. Jesus is the atonement, the payment. See, when we see, there's a lie that we sometimes hear, and sometimes it goes around on Facebook, that God loves you just the way you are. God does not love you the way you are. He does, he does not want you to stay the way you are. Because, remember that whole part of our sin, that black? He doesn't want you to stay with that. Because that is why we have sickness. That's why we have brokenness. That's why we have depression, anxiety, all sorts of mental health issues. That's why we have a world filled with war and famine and all the different chaos. He doesn't want us to stay there. I've been looking for a long time. Greg Steenbach, I know I just saw him today. Sorry to highlight you. But a few weeks ago, he sent me a text about... It was from McDonald's. It says something about, it was redeem a McDonald's item. Now, I, I'm going to go kind of backwards in time. If you did a redemption, it had to be a little, it was usually a coupon, right? And you, let's say you had a, a little coupon, and it said, good for one cheeseburger. And you go down to McDonald's, and you go and you redeem it. So you take that coupon, and you hand it, and in exchange, they'll give you a cheeseburger. So you have redeemed that cheeseburger with that little ticket. And by the way, question, is that technically a free cheeseburger? Not really, because it costs money to McDonald's to give away that one free cheeseburger. It may not be a lot, but it does cost the money. You were all born with this sin. You were born dead. You were born in prison, not in a McDonald's. You were born imprisoned by sin, death, and the devil. And our Lord came down to you, and he saw you in your pitiful estate, and he didn't say, sorry. No, he redeemed you. Not with a coupon. Not with silver or gold. And by the way, our 7th and 8th graders, it should sound a little familiar, because it was part of your memory work today. But not with silver or gold, but with his holy, innocent suffering and death. With his blood, he redeemed you. 
He purchased you a lost and condemned creature and led you out of slavery to sin, death, and the devil. Led you out of slavery to all of this ash. And this is why it's in the form of a cross. It's a reminder, yes, you are going to die. And by the way, when we did that with all the kids this afternoon, before, during, earlier, that was kind of striking to do for that many kids that are all 7th grade and younger. I'm telling them, you're going to die one day. And I don't know when, but the reason why we keep giving it and put it in ash is to remind them that your God is a lot bigger than death. Conquered it. Conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered the devil. So that when you die, it is a slumber. It's a long nap. It's like a slumber party. And you're, when your mom, mom wakes you up to go to Chuck E. Cheese or whatever it may be, it is Jesus coming to you and saying, Get up! Welcome to the resurrection. You get a lot better than Chuck E. Cheese, by the way. You're going to get the ultimate celebration, the ultimate victory. That's what the cross is. You have victory over sin. You have victory over death. Because your, your Lord Jesus, he doesn't, love you the way, he doesn't love you the way you are. He loves you in spite of the way you are. And he is going to make you and remake you, reform you into the way he wants you to be. The way that you need to be, a way that there is beyond sickness, beyond sorrow, beyond grief, beyond death, that is how he's came to remake you. And is there, a, is there a price to you? No. But to your God, it cost everything. He gave everything for you. So rejoice, even in the midst of sorrow. Rejoice that the God of the universe chose you, redeemed you. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in one true faith, for life everlasting. Amen.